I confess, I've been sexting with someone who is here tonight, but we have never actually met before. Yeah, make it tonight. Yes. I confess, I'm a pro-dom, but I can't tell most of my friends what I do, because people think you're a hooker. (laughs) Uh, I make more money, though, and I keep my hot outfits on. I love my job. Nothing like getting paid with your clothes on. No, right? Here we go. I confess, my massage therapist gives me the most mind-blowing, intense, prolonged orgasms. I was going to say, can a bitch get a name? Let's do this. Like, don't be greedy. I confess, I hooked up with my boyfriend while his sister slept in a bed right next to us. Oh, Walton style. (laughs) Good night, John Boy. Like, the young people are like, what the fuck is he talking about? You old people are like, I love that show. The lights go off one by one. (laughs) I confess. I finally found the courage to tell my mom I'm in an open marriage. And she said, you are a cheater just like your father. Listen, there is a big difference between a relationship boundary violation and ethical non-monogamy. Yes. So whoever this is, good for you. Like, I'm proud of you. Almost everybody does it, and almost nobody talks about it, except at Bed Post Confessions, a storytelling show based in Austin, Texas. Whether the stories are funny, informative, political, or completely personal, the anonymous confessions from the audience are the stars of every show. Welcome to the Bed Post Confessions podcast. I'm Bed Post producer Sadie Smythe. This week, we have author Spike Gillespie. Spike celebrates the pleasures of being in control of one's own life and not having to make compromises, and yet still sometimes wonders what partnership would be like in walking in London. Before we hear from Spike, a quick reminder that this story was from when we gathered in person. And while our fantastic ASL interpreters from Soul Illumination are there to serve the deaf, they sometimes steal the show with their beautiful expressions of American Sign Language. If you hear a roar of laughter and think you may be missing something, that would be a companion ASL interpretation. And now on with the show. Here's Spike Gillespie. I'm having lunch with my friend Kyle. Kyle and I most often discuss relationships. Kyle is very, very smart. He is a sensitive man who can also kick your ass on the basketball court. He can speak in nonviolent language and read earnest poetry out loud without sounding like a new age douchebag. And he can do this in a sweaty t-shirt, its sleeves ripped off, quite possibly by his own teeth. (laughs) Kyle also happens to be a licensed therapist, and I often joke that he should bill me for these lunches because I hit him up for advice. Okay, sometimes not advice. Sometimes validation and encouragement for whatever stupid thing I'm doing, by which I most often mean an emotional combination of the Watusi, the Foxtrot, the Tango, and the Bump in the name of keeping some asshole boyfriend in my life. For a couple of years there, Kyle listened deeply and with an open heart as I told him for the umpteenth time how I planned to make things work with the guy I eventually learned was 
a meth addict, a porn addict, a cheater, and a fan of humiliation and physical violence. Now, at last, I have a new topic for Kyle, which isn't actually new at all, but new in the sense that since I'm feeling pretty consistently happy these days, seems new, seeing as I had tucked happiness away for a very long time, like a Herb Albert record or a post-hysterectomy diaphragm. (laughs) The not really new topic is this. I'm so free. My God, I'm free. I'm single. I love my life. I love that no one is the boss of me. I love that I am no longer channeling my mother and lying down at the feet of a madman smearing his shit on me. I can do anything I want. Yay me. I tell Kyle I will not ever be in another relationship. Never again. Kyle can tell that maybe I'm protesting a little too much. (laughs) He can tell this not because he has a degree in counseling. He can tell because he's known me a very long time and also because I'm a fucking human. Steeped in this stupid culture, shoved down our throats forever, all that stuff about how we must have another human, a soulmate, or whatever to make us complete. As an aside, I would like to say if my actual therapist, Leslie, were here... She might stand up, politely clear her throat, and remind me, now, Spike, remember, humans really are programmed for attachment. It's okay to want a partner. Whatever, Leslie. No, seriously, Leslie, have you time-traveled back and met my parents? Have you seen the imprinting I endured, imprinting I will never fully shake, imprinting that always and forever involves dropping everything for him, him, him? Are you really sure you want to be telling me attachment is okay for someone like me? Really? Great. Maybe it's time for me to quit not drinking. Maybe you want to hand me a big bottle of vodka while you're at it. Kyle patiently drills down. We swap personal histories. Despite an awful lot of sex across a broad spectrum of interesting locations, hello the 80s, if I calculate the amount of time I have actually been in relationships as an adult, the math clearly indicates I have spent the vast, and I do mean vast majority of my life, alone. It doesn't always seem like that to me and to the readers I share so many nightmarish relationship stories with, But that's because when I do step into it, well, I step into it. I can cram four decades of hell into 15 months. (laughs) I have always been an overachiever. And when I do math like that, when I really think about it, it can't just be random now, can it? I'm the common denominator in being alone. I'm the only denominator in being alone. It's like the rare times I am in a relationship, I have this magical, loving inner unicorn that keeps stabbing my heart from the inside hard enough to convince me, A, get out, and B, keep me from getting into another one for a long time. Because the inner unicorn knows something I can't always reconcile myself with. To put it in the words of my friend Jill, who is beautifully blunt, don't take this wrong, honey, but I like you better when you're single. I like me better that way, too. And yet, and yet, some nights I think something along the lines of my kingdom for a hand job, and I'm talking about receiving, not giving. Some mornings I wake up and pray that the dogs have grown opposable thumbs and the knowledge to operate my espresso machine so for once I can be served coffee in bed. I 
tell Kyle that since I've been alone so much and for so long that I have what I know with certainty is a very warped view of what I think healthy couples have. And still I can't shake it. It's very simple. I have this idea that healthy couples spend most of their time having lots and lots of really great sex in a very clean house. (laughs) Seriously, my brain thinks that. That is my fantasy scenario of how steady loving romances work. Or it was. These days, thanks to the abuse I suffered last time around, when I kept plucking the unicorn from my ticker and sending it out to the back 40, when it took that fucker 8,000 pokes with the horn to fully perforate my heart until I damn near bled to death and only then finally escaped, well, these days, I have a new fantasy. The fantasy involves me one day having done enough therapy to finally find a way to let a man into my life. And when I do, and when he arrives... We will conduct a relationship style that a gay friend of mine refers to as the Bert and Ernie. We will have separate single beds side by side and wear matching men's pajamas. We will read quietly for hours each day, surrounded by our dogs who will not fight with each other. We will chuckle from time to time, and when one of us chuckles loud enough, the other will turn and smile and say, go ahead, read it to me. And then we will chuckle together. I am not sure how the house will get clean, but that will be part of it, too. (laughs) And then, after a very long time, like 45 years, maybe we will hold hands. (laughs) And I will die happy. In the meantime, while I pursue another 10 or 20 or 40 years of therapy, whatever it takes... To allow me to enter into a healthy-ish relationship, I tell Kyle I love being alone. And that the thing that makes me happiest in my life as I currently know it, if we exclude eating pizza with my son, Henry, in Brooklyn, and we must do this for me to make my point, it is walking in London. Alone, I say, for days on end. I do this every year. I hop on a plane. I fly to Heathrow. I stay at a boutique hotel in Kensington. By boutique, I mean the room is roughly the size of my Boston Terrier's asshole. (laughs) I love y'all. You know, this, like, breaking, let me break down the wall and say, bedpost confessions, like, it's just, y'all, the audience, I just, I'm just so happy. Like, like... Best of both worlds, I'm alone, and I'm having some kind of group thing with you guys. It's awesome. Anyway, back to my Boston Terrier's asshole. Um, I can, from my tiny bed, not only see my tiny teapot and my tiny desk and my tiny suitcase and my tiny travel-sized toiletries, I can touch each and every one of these things. 
without stretching. So close is the tiny loo to my tiny bed, I can very nearly pee in it without getting up. And when I do get up, I walk. I walk and walk and walk 10 miles a day, 12, 14. My complete lack of sense of direction means I can actually log at least five of these miles as I circle a four-block radius looking for my hotel, which for some reason my GPS can never pinpoint. There are so many reasons I love walking in London. I can have the foreign country feeling, the fumbling with weird money, the sound of odd accents in my ears, whilst at the very same time being able to read all the signs and navigate the tube, which, let's be honest, is designed to be navigable by a drunk toddler. But what I love most about these annual journeys, easy, control, 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 motherfucking control. In the room and out of it. In the room, I can see everything. Everything. And if I can keep my eye on it, it can't move or fuck me over. Outside the room, I get to pick where to walk, where to eat, whether or not to go into the V&A and look at the art. I can smoke. I can sleep off my jet lag without some companion bitching at me that we're missing a free One Direction concert at the palace. (laughs) I can stare back at the people in the Indian restaurant staring at me, eating my curry alone, pitying me whilst I am, in fact, having a mental orgasm of indescribable proportions because I am totally by myself. My cows, my dogs, my horse, my donkey, my chickens, and Gerald, the old redneck who lives in an RV on my ranch and who is nearly blind and thus keeps running over the chickens with his golf cart... And who thinks the reason there are no ashtrays in cars anymore is because of Obama? (laughs) There is an ocean, an ocean between us. Don't get me wrong. I love my cows, my dogs, my horse, my donkey, my chickens, and I have a halfway decent affection for Gerald. But it wears me out, all of it. And when there is an ocean between me and a lame chicken and three barking dogs and a brain donkey and the bull I forgot to get castrated, that 1,500-pound hunk with the obscene man sack hanging down, all that testosterone feeding his desire to hump his mother, well, then there's nothing I can do about all that now, is there? This is freedom, sweet and pure. An ocean. That is what I currently keep between myself and trying to figure out a way to fit another man into my life. It is an ocean of questions that sometimes float in and sometimes appear as riptides of reality checks. For starters, where would I put them? It's true I live in a 3,200-square-foot house, but that seems at least four sizes too small for two humans, if you ask me. (laughs) Kyle concurs. He's been in a relationship for nearly a decade now, and he and his partner live in separate houses. This is how it works for them. With absolutely no disregard for his partner, Kyle tells me that I have got it going on. Kyle says if you do his life math, he's been in relationships for as long as I've been out of them. Then he reminds me of something I already know and I hope never to get amnesia about again. That it is entirely possible to be lonelier with a human right beside you than it is to be completely alone or, in my case, spooning with a 110-pound Great Pyrenees named Norris. But what of this niggling little voice that never totally shuts up? The one that says, maybe, just maybe, there is another one out there who is just as weird as me. 
a man willing to go halfsies on a 15,000-square-foot shack with separate entrances that feature beautiful, matching, glowing, no-vacancy signs for all those days one needs time to oneself. Signs that also emit a high-pitched signal that grants cellular-level reassurance that this is not about rejection at all, that, you know, time off is just a good thing to have. That voice belongs to my alter ego. She has her own nombre de lucha libre. I call her la avocado de diabla. (laughs) Perhaps she keeps the hope alive to entertain that other entity within me, my inner contrarian. La avocado poses a question. La contrarian then pummels la avocado into the mat, flips her over, then pins her to the rope, screaming at me, maintain your freedom, baby. But what if he's really nice, asks the avocado. (laughs) Oh, that won't last, La Contrarian points out. What if he's actually pleasant to sleep next to? Surely he'll develop an annoying snoring problem. What if he's patient? Well, you know, that's just going to get boring. (laughs) These arguments between me and me rage on. I go from general to specific. I remind myself how much I really do hope to have sex at least once again before I die. (laughs) Not because I'm feeling especially horny these days, but simply because I wish for a vaginal palate cleansing. (laughs) So that I can die knowing that the last guy I had sex with won't be the last guy I had sex with. And then I argue against this too. Not having sex hasn't killed me yet. Besides, I know that if ever this goal takes on a true sense of urgency, I can do what my friend Robert once advised back in the days when I was horny and whined that it was impossible to get laid. No, it's not, Robert said. It's easy. Just go down to the poodle dog lounge, take off your pants, pull up a bar stool, and you'll get laid. While I appreciate having options, (laughs) pragmatism is a growing trait of mine, and considering the attendant bullshit of a poodle dog lounge lay, namely pillow talk in a wet spot, I get much more efficiency and a far higher ROI with my Hitachi magic wand. Sometimes for fun, I listen to the avocado I imagine trying to make the space for a man. Then I imagine this man walking into my bathroom. Let me tell you about my bathroom. My aforementioned house, see, it's like a mullet. Business on the big side, which is all clean and neat and gets rented out to guests so I can pay the mortgage. But my side, party. And by party, I mean that the one man who would get a chubby at my personal housekeeping skills on my side of the place is Charlie Brown's buddy, Pigpen. Once I did something very out of character. I allowed some friends over to my side of the house. I wanted to show them some art I keep in a little room for my private viewing pleasure. This room is adjacent to my bathroom, which is also the laundry room and the espresso machine room. There is no door, just a curtain, and it is, by some folks' standards, filthy. One friend said, without being asked to share her opinion, is the bathroom of a clearly depressed person. (laughs) Wrong, bitch. (laughs) Wrong, 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 wrongity, wrong, wrong. No, 
this is the bathroom of a woman who doesn't give a shit except in the toilet because she is too busy doing the things she loves. This is the bathroom that screams, this is the bathroom that screams, hot damn, I don't have to deal with this, so I have more time to write, write, write. And bonus points, every time Gerald runs over a chicken, I can bring her right in here to convalesce or die next to the toilet, and nobody else is here to question my sanity about this choice. Which in turn allows me to say to Avocado de Diablo when she suggests it might be nice to have someone around to fetch a roll of toilet paper when I realize I forgot to stock back up near the john. No, that's stupid. I would rather wipe my butt with those feathers over there, the ones left over from our last casualty, than have to, than have to put up with all the things that go along with having a live-in toilet paper fetcher. Like having to argue over whether or not it is a good idea to stash dying fowl in the house. I'm still unclear on which goal, to be alone or not to be alone, I am actually leaning closer to, and I am just fine with that. It gives me something to talk to myself about when I am seated at a table for one, not boldly reading a book titled, You go, girl, you eat in that restaurant alone. (laughs) But thinking, thank you, baby Jesus, I get to eat the whole basket of naan and I don't have to share it. It's not that I'm selfish. Oh, wait, yes, I am. (laughs) But this is a selfishness well-earned after a lifetime of putting everybody else first. You know all those memes about how women over 50 don't give a fuck anymore? You know why they never grow old the way the women who like, 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 love, smiley face emoji them do? Because now it is our turn. Let these men and their nimble tinder fingers swipe us into oblivion. I do not give a rat's ass. Last summer, I did a little dance with one man and then another. This was not official dating. It was, I admit, fun while it was fun. Each seemed to dig me. But the one was a closet drunk who chastised me for sneaking a gift-wrapped book into his luggage the day I dropped him off at the airport, chastised me like I'd crossed a line and given him a copy of the Kama Sutra with a picture of myself naked for a bookmark, when in fact it was... Gastronomical Me, a food memoir written by M.F.K. Fisher in 1943. (laughs) The other said to me at coffee one day, you're not going to do that the whole time, are you? He was referring to my knitting. Actually, yes, I am. I am going to knit all the time for the rest of my life. I am going to eat yogurt standing at the kitchen counter and M&M's whenever and wherever I please. I am going to fly solo to faraway places and jump on hotel beds, stretching my arms the entire width of the room and touching both walls whilst wearing my Lucha Libre costume. (laughs) A silvery horned mask, a lime green jog bra, and ragged granny panties with tufts of graying bush protruding freely. (laughs) I am going to sleep with the dogs, and I will, if it comes down to it, Wipe my ass with feathers. Thank you. Thank you. I confess that I am surprised by my current partner. Goes to show that great sex can be learned. Practice, (laughs) y'all. 
I confess, stress is killing my ability to orgasm, and it makes me want to just stop trying. Oh, Bunny, we've all been there. You'll get it back. Do the things that make you relax. Don't stress about having the sex. It'll come back to you. It will. I confess, I was fucking my boy toy one day when all of a sudden the bathroom door opened. It was his wife. She looked at us, smiled, and slowly dropped her towel. In that moment, I started grinding harder and squirted everywhere. Fuck, yeah. I love the direction that took. I confess, I thought I knew what orgasms felt like until my current partner gave me one. They feel volcanic. I feel free. (laughs) I confess, I am so grateful for this community and this space. Every show is like coming home. So grateful. We thank you. Thank you. Spike Gillespie is the author of nine books. She's been voted Best Memoirist by Austin Chronicle readers from 2016 to 2019. She lives with dogs, chickens, cows, horses, and a donkey named Levon at the Tiny Tea Ranch in Garfield, Texas. Links to Spike in the show notes. Bebho's Confessions was recorded in front of a live audience at the North Door in Austin, Texas. To support the show, consider purchasing an I Confess t-shirt available at bedpostconfessions.com. Follow at Bedpost Confessions on Instagram and Facebook for more audience confessions. Bedpost Confessions is produced by myself, Sadie Smythe, and Miranda Wiley. Our podcast production team is Mariah Gossett, Mike Garcia, and Permanent Record Studios. The Bedpost Confessions podcast will be taking a little break in 2021, but please follow us on Instagram for more confessions and to keep up to date on episode drops for future plans. We love our podcast community and hope you all have a safe holiday season and a happy new year.